From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon and welcome to Washington Watch, where we cut through the noise and get to the heart of the issues charting our nation's future. I'm your host, Tony Perkins, and we have a lineup of compelling topics and expert guests that, quite frankly, you won't want to miss. Today, we're going to examine the House's failure to fund Israel in the fight against Hamas. Plus, we'll dissect the fallout from the effort to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. Listen, we have a duty and a responsibility to take care of this issue. We have to hold the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security accountable. Mayorkas needs to be held accountable. The Biden administration needs to be held accountable. And we will pass those articles of impeachment. Uh, we'll, we'll do it on the next round. That was House Speaker Mike Johnson earlier today talking about the impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas. We'll discuss what lies ahead with Congressman Buddy Carter. We'll also dive into the weaponization of the federal government, a topic that has captured headlines and ignited debates across the political spectrum. Internal Amazon emails are unbelievable. Stop and think about it. Government pressuring Amazon to ban books. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all this big combination to impact election. And now we find the same thing was happening, the same dynamic was happening at Amazon. That was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan. Joining us to shed light on this critical issue is Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who will offer his insights and analysis on the challenges facing our nation's government. That's coming up in just a moment. But that's not all. We'll also be joined by Vincent Wagner, senior counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, to discuss a poignant legal battle, a mother's lawsuit against the New York school district for secretly gender transitioning her daughter. It's a story that underscores the importance of parental rights and transparency in our educational system. And later in the program, we'll delve into the disturbing phenomena of digital conspiracy theories, as highlighted in a recent report by the Associated Press. David Clausen, director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview, will join us to examine the implications of widespread distrust in information sources, how we got here, and how we move forward as followers of Christ in this post-truth world. Well, from the halls of power to the front lines of the cultural battles, Washington Watch is your platform for informed discussion and meaningful dialogue all from a biblical perspective. So stand up, speak up, stay engaged, and let's navigate these pressing issues together. Washington Watch starts now. Well, throughout the past several years, we've seen the left whip up hysteria about book bans every time a parent criticizes pornographic books at their children's school. But this week, the House Judiciary Committee released emails detailing how the Biden administration pushed for actual book bans by pressuring Amazon to remove books that contradicted their vaccine narrative. And this week, the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government examined how the National Science Foundation funded the development of AI tools to enable online censorship and propaganda. Joining me now to discuss this, Congressman Matt Gates. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee, the House Armed Services Committee, and the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. Congressman Gates, welcome back to Washington Watch. 
Well, thanks so much for having me, Tony. And I think a lot of your astute viewers and observers uh, will, will have some familiarity with this notion of government-induced censorship, right? Where there's a person trying to cajole a tech company or a news outlet or some other platform uh, from limiting the distribution of certain type of content, even constitutionally protected speech. But now the new revelation that we just learned this week is that they're actually replacing some of the humans who do that uh, you know, occasionally or periodically with robots who can then censor at scale and, and can really limit uh, the ability for normal, rational discourse to occur. And one of the things that I know will be uh, concerning to all of us is that some of the terms that they used to search and limit content, to designate people potentially vulnerable to disinformation or extremism. If someone lived in a rural area, if someone was part of a military family, and even if somebody had reflected that their belief uh, in the Bible or the Constitution was textual, that it was sacred, and if you had more than one of those factors, it actually stacked up to limit your access to information. So that's the big revelation, and, and it's deeply concerning to many of I us. I mean, there are so many problems with this. Number one is where it could lead to. This sounds kind of like China with a social credit score if you get too many marks against you. But I, I want to talk about the, about the hypocrisy here, where the left is going out because parents are wanting to protect their children from harmful pornographic material that is pushing the left's indoctrination when it comes to the whole sex uh, area of gender, transgenderism, and all of that. But here, when you have actual scientific minds, publications that are challenging the Biden administration's approach to, to COVID-19, that's what we're talking about here in particular as it pertains to Amazon, they're out there using Amazon as a tool to violate the First Amendment. The difference between the right and the left on this is that the right embraces the opportunity for knowledge and exploration and different viewpoints and comparing them to one another. And the left wants to control the very nature of truth itself. Part of how they control that nature of truth is to try to infect young minds with all of this nonsense that, that really has no place in adoles adolescence or the public education system, and they're trying to, to shape a particular viewpoint there that deviates from the traditional family and, and really just traditional life in society. And at the same time, if you've got scientific data or analysis that you want to publish uh, that talks about vaccine injuries or herd immunity, uh, you had people literally in the White House, people at the Department of Homeland Security, people that were senior advisors to the president of the United States using the awesome power of government to try to manipulate and cajole uh, companies like Amazon and others uh, to, to, to really uh, proliferating a political stance, not an exploration for knowledge. Right. I mean, this is a new revelation of Amazon. We knew that they were leaning on the social media platforms. There's a lawsuit out of the state of Missouri and Louisiana that will be before the Supreme Court on that front. Uh, but also the use of AI to uh, the, the censorship effort f by the National Science Foundation, that's also new information that has come forward, showing that, I mean, this thing is like an octopus. It is, has arms everywhere. This is a complex operation. What did we learn at this week's weaponization subcommittee hearing about this, and, and how was this uncovered? 
So there's this governmental entity called the National Science Foundation. And what that group does is they take public money, taxpayer money, and then they put out grant opportunities for entities like MIT or the University of Wisconsin-Madison or the University of Michigan to come and apply. And in those applications, you saw the universities competing for the new capabilities that they could bring to a censorship regime, to the censorship industrial complex. So the slideshows would be MIT saying, don't worry, we can find that we've assessed that the people in rural areas, military families, people who are devout Christians, we know that they're real gullible and susceptible to disinformation. So we can use AI tools to specifically target those folks and to create this government-enacted resilience around them, which is actually a barrier to truth and exploration and discovery. Um, and, and their ability to get the money out the door, and you're so right to call it a complex system, really shows what we're up against. And so what's the answer to all of this would be a reasonable question. I think first you have to defang the authorities that even allow uh, this type of censorship to occur in the name of disinformation scholarship. And then secondly, you have to cut off the money. This goes to the larger discussion you've and I have had many times on this program, but when we fund the government with one up or down vote on everything from the veterans to the troops to the seniors to the censorship, then some of the worst things that we pay for are allowed to exist in perpetuity. I'm fighting for a system where each agency of government has to endure line item review and scrutiny. That's what allows us to uh, really get the weeds out of our federal spending and, and limit the ability for these types of harmful systems to continue. Yeah, I mean, that that is a conversation in and of itself where I mean, for 20 years, we've not done the normal appropriations where we take the, the 12 appropriations bills. We've done these omnibus. We've done continuing resolutions. You're, t you're saying take it even a step further, which I would totally agree with. That's the only way you ferret this out is that you analyze and you look. I mean, we really need to go back to z zero budgeting, where we make these agencies start from scratch and, and make their submissions as opposed to, you know, just adding a little bit of percentage every year and just growing it to the this behemoth that we currently have. I, I, but, but hold on, hold on there, Tony, because there's a reason that doesn't happen. What you just said makes so much sense. Start with a blank sheet of paper and say, what are our priorities in a world that's changing so quickly? But you know whose ox that gores? The lobbyists and the special interests, because they want to live in a system where once you get a program or a, a, a funding stream available for the people paying you, you want that to never be challenged again. And so that's why we have this system. It's not a bug. It's a feature. And zero-based budgeting, like you just described, that's how a lot of our states operate, and that's how they're able to get rid of wasteful spending and balanced budgets in all types of economies. I mean, that's why we have programs that were outdated from 50 years ago still being funded. Uh, because they just don't go away. They have a constituency. Uh, Matt, we're almost out of time. I, I want to ask you this question. As you described AI, you described what the Biden administration is doing to uh, manipulate, dis provide disinformation, and to silence dissenting voices, that is exactly—I've been talking about this a long time, but this week in particular—the World Health Organization and their pandemic accord, what they're pushing— specifically in the accord, which is a treaty, they are saying governments need to crack down on disinformation. This is exactly what the Biden administration is doing. They would love the pandemic accord. 
not only is it the same playbook, there's some of the exact same plays. If you look at what the World Health Organization is trying to stop, it is it, it is the uh, publication of a lot of the scholarship around these vaccine injuries and the limited efficacy in some circumstances. And so, of course, when you see our government tracing that, it ought to give cause for concern. But even more concerning is that you're eventually going to have one of these AI bots that's able to survey all of the globalist concepts, all of the worst ideas from the World Health Organization to the UN to Lord knows who, and integrate that into one censorship system that can be deployed at scale. And you're right, that sounds a lot more like China than the United States of America. I don't think we beat China by becoming more like them. I think we beat them by being the most inspirational, positive version of ourselves, freedom-loving and God-fearing. Freedom of speech, freedom of ideas being out there. Matt, 30 seconds left. But Budgeting, obviously cutting off the funding supply, but what do we what what are our steps forward now, right now, where we are to rein this in? Yeah, I, I think it's all about following the money. Of course, we can bring in the bureaucrats uh, who have approved these things and we can humiliate them and browbeat them. But at the end of the day, if we keep sending the check, they'll keep disseminating it like this. Uh, that's why these sometimes people's eyes can glaze over when we talk about the intricacies of the federal budget process. But if you really want the results, if you want to get rid of uh, some of this stuff, that is the hard roll up your sleeves work that has yeah, to be done. You're, you're absolutely right. That That is at the heart of the matter. The, 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 the intentions, the moral, the, the morals uh, drive the process, but it is actually the money that dictates which ways it, it goes. Uh, Matt Gates, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, my friend. All right, Matt Gates, uh, Congressman from Florida. Okay, here, here's one action item right now is to defund the World Health Organization. Right down the line with what uh, Congressman Gates was saying. Text the word WHO to 67742. Sign that petition. WHO, 67742. We need to make it go away. But I don't want you to go away, because on the other side of the break, Congressman Buddy Carter of Georgia joins me. Don't go away. Everything we do begins as an idea. Before there can be acts of courage, there must be the belief that some things are worth sacrificing for. Before there can be marriage, there is the idea that man should not be alone. Before there was freedom, there was the idea that individuals are created equal. It's true that all ideas have consequences, but we're less aware that all consequences are the fruit of ideas. Before there was murder, there was hate. 
Before there was a Holocaust, there was the belief by some people that other people are undesirable. Our beliefs determine our behavior, and our beliefs about life's biggest questions determine our worldview. Where did I come from? Who decides what is right and wrong? What happens when I die? Our answers to these questions explain why people see the world so differently. Debates about abortion are really disagreements about where life gets its value. Debates over sexuality and gender and marriage are really disagreements about whether the rules are made by us or for us. What we think of as political debates are often much more than that. They're disagreements about the purpose of our lives and the source of truth. As Christians, our goal must be to think biblically about everything. Our goal is to help you see beyond red and blue, left and right, to see the battle of ideas at the root of it all. Our goal is to equip Christians with a biblical worldview and help them advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square. Cultural renewal doesn't begin with campaigns and elections. It begins with individuals turning from lies to truth. But that won't happen if people can't recognize a lie and don't believe truth exists. We want to help you see the spiritual war behind the political war, the truth claims behind the press release, and the forest from the trees. to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Be sure and check it out. Also, the petition for WHO. WHO. Text the word WHO to 67742 and send a message to defund the World Health Organization. All right, yesterday, two highly anticipated conservative efforts in the House didn't make it. The impeachment of the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas fell short by a single vote, and a bill to provide support for our ally Israel in its war against Hamas, which needed two-thirds approval due to its expedited process, to the floor failed by a vote of 250 to 180. Now, probably haven't seen this reported in the legacy media, but neither of these efforts are dead. In fact, I spoke to the speaker this morning. They'll be back next week. Joining me now to discuss this, Congressman Buddy Carter. He's a member of the House Budget Committee and the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Georgia. Congressman Carter, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Good to see you, Tony, always. Uh, we saw the Mayorkas impeachment and the funding for Israel voted down yesterday. And, and I don't think people realize how significant the razor-thin majority that the Republicans have in the House really is. Walk us through the process and the considerations for bringing these bills to the floor. Well, and thank you for mentioning the, the fact that we've got a very slim majority. In fact, I think it's the second slimmest majority in the history of Congress. And really, we, we can't afford to lose any votes, period, um, particularly now with Steve Scalise out, um, um, with him getting uh, therapy and um, getting treated. So that, that even makes it worse. Now, hopefully he's going to be back soon. That'll make a difference. That'll give us one more vote on our side. But um, what we tried to do yesterday, of course, um, with the Israeli funding, which I voted for, and and um, it, it's extremely important. We all understand that. Um, we tried to put it under suspension. We thought we could get the votes that way. Obviously, we were not successful. But uh, at the same time, 
Um, you know, that doesn't mean it's dead because now we've got another opportunity to bring it up under a rule. And if we can get that rule passed, then it'll only take a simple majority. And, that, and we think that we can get that done that way. Now, as far as the Mayor Orcus goes, um, of course, that was a partisan vote. We did lose three of our members and came up one short. Keep in mind that um, the vice chair of our of our conference, Blake Moore, changed his vote from a yes to a no. And when he did that, that'll give us the opportunity for reconsideration. And we'll have that opportunity to bring that up again as well, probably both of them next week, as you mentioned. Yeah, I think uh, the plan is for Congressman Scalise, who's been going undergoing a, a stem cell uh, treatment for, for cancer, should be back in the House next week. But the, the expedited, the suspension of the rules requires the two-thirds majority of the House to vote. As you mentioned, the funding for Israel, a clean bill of funding, uh, not, nothing else on it, simply funding Israel, would have to adopt a rule, so then it's a simple majority vote on the House. Do, I know a lot of people were surprised that all the Democrats voted against it. It's pretty amazing that President Biden threatened to veto the measure if it passed. I mean, this is—it's it's quite amazing to me, Congressman Carter, that this administration um, you know, wants to fund Ukraine to the tune of $60 billion, um, favorable toward Hamas, wanting to send more money to them, to, to, the, to Gaza, uh, through the United Nations. Uh, but yet, when it comes to our most consistent ally, this is twice the president has said he would veto a funding measure? And, and great points. Two things I want to point out. First of all, it is obvious. Remember the first bill that we sent over for Israeli funding? It was it had an offset, and, and I was really happy to see that offset. And, and this just shows you that the Democrats are more interested in the IRS than they are in helping our, our most valued ally in Israel. And, and that makes no sense whatsoever. As far as Ukraine is concerned, you know, obviously we support Ukraine. We don't want Putin to be successful. But at the same time, I got to tell you, Tony, when I go home and I'm in the district, and I'm in the district quite often, the, one of the questions I'm asked more than anything else is, how can you justify sending money to another country to secure their border when our border is not secure? And I'll be quite honest with you, that's a difficult question to answer. And that's what people are wanting to know. Why do we continue to send money to Ukraine? Again, we want them to be successful. We do not want Putin to be successful. But at the same time, something's got to be done with that southern border. Yeah, no, no question. You, you, you cannot help other countries if we can't help ourselves. But this, uh, the, the funding that's being proposed for, for Ukraine, I mean, since 2022, when, the, when Putin invaded Ukraine, if you add the $60 billion that's been proposed here, uh, we have uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of about $112 billion that we've sent—actually, uh, I think it would take it to 130 in total—that we've sent to Ukraine. And you look over the course of our relationship with Israel since 1948, the sum total of everything we've sent to them since 1948 is $160 billion. I mean, that's quite a significant bankroll that we've been doing of Ukraine. There's no question about that. And, you know, in, in the bill, the, uh, the bill that was sent over to from the Senate to the House that, that dealt with immigration, in that bill, I believe there was like 60 billion for Ukraine. There was um, um, about 11 or 12 billion for Israel. And there was only 20 billion 
for the southern border. Right. And that was the bill that came over from the Senate. Well, and, and it's not really a money issue. It's a it's a it's a really motive issue. Are we motivated to protect that border? And that's an issue that that rests on the shoulders of of, of Joe Biden. Very quickly, uh, Congressman B Buddy Carter, we're up against a break. But do you think the Republicans will agree on the rule and move forward next week on the Israel funding? I hope they will. Um, it, it, I hope that we will. It's, it's difficult to say. Uh, I do know that there are a number of people in our conference who are concerned that there's not an offset for the money going to Israel. Uh, but, but I hope that they will see past that. Uh, it's difficult for me, and I will tell you that. But we, I, I support Israel. We've got to support Israel. All right, Congressman Buddy Carter, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, folks, I, I agree. In fact, I uh, had a conversation with the speaker about this this morning. You know, Israel's kind of in a different category. I mean, from a, from a Christian perspective, we need to support them. From a political perspective, they're our greatest ally in the Middle East, consistently being with us. I would encourage you to contact your member of Congress and weigh in on this issue. Let them know where you stand. 202-224-3121. 224-3121. All right, coming up after the break, something that's becoming way too familiar. A school in New York State worked to lie and conceal a student's gender confusion from her mother. Now, her mother is suing the school district. We talk to her attorney next. Thank you again for these dear friends and those who serve, who you've called here to serve. We've heard their hearts this morning, God. I pray that you encourage them. I pray that you give us all wisdom, discernment, stamina to do the things that you have called us to do. And as Solomon asked, and as we repeat, Lord, that you would give us the courage to walk in your ways, to follow your commands, and to stand for truth so that we can govern and administer justice in a way that is pleasing and honorable to you. We ask and pray and believe all this in Jesus' name. Amen. above all names by which we must be saved, the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the light of the world, the glory of Israel, the only answer, the only hope America has that it might yet again shine as a city on a hill. No revival comes without repentance. So God, we pray that we would own our own sin. God, that we'd walk before you in constant revival. What have we done to our children? We are teaching them that there is no God and that they can define good and evil. Lord, have mercy on us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would commission us to go and make your word known and your truth to a world that is in desperate need of that truth and that hope. Lord, I pray that we would answer the call and say, here we are. Send us in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Wednesday. 
Again, that uh, capital switchboard number 202-224-3121. Remember, our republic was made for participants, not spectators. All right, imagine for a moment that you have a daughter, and unbeknownst to you, your local school district and its employees acting under district policy had begun to treat your daughter as a boy without your knowledge or consent at your daughter's request. And then, and then, get this, they lied to you about doing so. Well, that's the nightmare that's uh, facing a New York mother, Jennifer uh, Vitsaki. She's, she's fighting back and suing the district that actively hid from her vital information about her own daughter. Joining me now to unpack this is Vincent Wagner, senior counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, they're representing the mother in this case. Vincent, welcome to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me on, Tony. It's good to be here. You know, I'd like to say that this is like an anomaly, but you know what? This is happening almost every week. So lay out for our viewers and listeners, how and when did your client situation begin? Right. So the key point is parents have a fundamental right that's at stake to make the best decisions they can about their children's upbringing, education, and health care. The Scanny Atlas New York School District violated Jennifer Vitsaki's right by hiding this crucial information about her middle school daughter from her. Jennifer was an involved mother. She knew what was going on at school, so she noticed when her daughter's attitude towards school changed. Depression, anxiety, refusal even to go to school some days. So Jennifer asked uh, the people at school if they'd noticed anything that had changed during the school day that could be leading to this, and they consistently reassured her. No, we haven't noticed anything, nothing's new, that sort of thing. But this wasn't true. They were concealing from her that they had started treating her daughter as a boy, calling her a masculine name, using incorrect pronouns from her, without telling Jennifer or seeking her consent. And this was a woman who, as I said, she was involved. At one point, she even took a job as a school bus driver to make sure she knew what was going on at school to try to help her daughter succeed. And the school district left her out in the dark, unable to help her daughter at a time when her daughter really needed her mother's help. And that violated her parental rights. I, I think people need to really understand what you're saying, Vincent. This, this was an engaged mother. She wanted to know what was going on with her daughter. In fact, she was having conversations with the school officials. So it wasn't like she was indifferent, didn't really care. She was there. She was involved. They, they, they intentionally, intentionally hid this from her. And that is actually district policy. The student, the, the teachers and the, the workers in the district are under obligation by the, the guidance of the district to do this. That's right. And, you know, school districts around the country, they seek permission to give kids an aspirin while they're at school during the day. But they have policies like these that keep this critical information from parents. We know kids are going to do better when their parents are involved in these key decisions in their lives. I mean, it's just common sense that that would be the case, but the scientific evidence supports it that kids do better when their parents help them through these sorts of difficult issues. Right. And schools have no business cutting parents out of them. Vincent, the ringer for me is that the mother, continuing to be concerned about this, withdrew her child from the public school, went to a private school, and the daughter began to make improvements emotionally, physically. And this included her daughter no longer wanting to be identified as a male. 
I mean, this to me shows how these schools, in concert with this whole LGBTQ transgender agenda, are trying to lock these kids into a path and drive them down this pathway that would lead to irreversible damage. Yeah, parents know their kids better than anyone else does, and they love their kids more than anyone else does. It's the parents that have this God-given responsibility to care for their kids. And it, the, the school officials in a child's life, they're there for maybe a school year. Parents are there for their whole lives. They know what their kids need, and they have a right to help their kids through these sorts of important decisions. So, Vincent, what's next in this case? This case is just getting started. We'll hear from the school district with their response in a few weeks um, and go from there. That This case, though, is only one of many around the country. We filed one in December that I know you know about in Michigan. Right. It's a similar sort of situation. We won a case in Wisconsin last year that's a similar sort of situation. And these are cropping up all over the country. Um, so it's it's what's next in this case, it's just getting started, but there's a longer road ahead for cases around the country. Well, Vincent, too. it's my hope that not only does this mother get justice, but 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 I, I hope that and I'm so grateful for Alliance Defending Freedom and the great work that you guys do. But I, I really want to punish these entities that are doing this because this is so deceptive, intentionally deceptive dangerous and destructive to our children, and it has to stop. Well, it's important that parents be bold and be willing to speak out. Um, and, it, and we've tried to provide some resources for parents to do that. If you go to our website, we've got uh, parents' guides on various topics, including critical theory, parents' guides on navigating gender ideology in schools. And we want to equip parents to know their rights and know that the Constitution's on their side on this. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Vincent, thanks so much for joining us today. And again, uh, our, our hats off to our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom for out there fighting for parents. Thanks so much, Tony. And, and folks, you know, maybe you've run up against this. It's becoming so common. I mean, I think I had two cases I talked about last week. I'd like to know, and we'll put you in touch with the lawyers as well, if you'd like to tell us your story or you know something that we can kind of follow up on here at Washington Watch, email me, Tony at TonyPerkins.com. Also, our Washington Stand reporters would love to get a tip on stories like this. We've got to expose it. We've got to fight it. We've got to stand up for truth. We have to stand up for our children. All right, speaking, up, tr speaking of truth, coming up next, FRC's David Clawson joins me to uncover how Christians should navigate in this day of deception. Hello, I'm Tony Perkins, President of Family Research Council. Sometimes the headlines are overwhelming and it feels like we're alone and there's nothing we can do. That is exactly what the enemy wants us to believe. Reading through the Bible, there are many things that are counterintuitive. One of them is that God never uses a majority. It is always a minority devoted to the truth. Here at Family Research Council, we're grateful to stand side by side with other believers for the truth. And as a result, God is making a difference. When you partner with us, you're joining with Christians around the nation and standing together for the truth of God's word supplying pastors and parents and school boards with training and resources to stand up against the indoctrination of your children. I invite you to become a STAND member and stand with FRC today. Together, with God's help, we can preserve freedom for the next generation. Go to frc.org and become a STAND member today. Again, that's frc.org. Stand with us. 
Research has found that there are 59 million American adults who are a lot like you. There are millions of people around the country who are born again, deeply committed to practicing their faith, and believe the Bible is the reliable Word of God. But that's not all. They're also engaged in our government. They're voters. They're more likely to be involved in their community, and they're making a difference in elections. The problem is that a lot of them feel alone too. We want to change that. FRC wants to connect these 59 million Americans to speak the truth together, no matter the cost. If you want to learn more about this group and what it means to be a spiritually active, governance-engaged conservative, or if you want to find out if you are one of these sage cons yourself, join us. Go to frc.org slash s-a-g-e-c-o-n, sagecon, to learn more. That's s-a-g-e-c-o-n, sagecon, to learn more. I'm Tony Perkins, and I have a prediction. This year, there will be uncertainty and continued political and cultural division. Okay, so that's not that startling of a prediction, but try this. We can have peace and even joy amid the chaos. Jesus said in John 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus told us there would be days like this so that our eyes would be upon him and his promises rather than our circumstances. Now, how can we keep our eyes on Jesus? Abide in Him by being in His Word. At Family Research Council, we want to help you do that, which is the reason for the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. With just 10 to 15 minutes each day, you will have read the entire Bible in just two years. But most importantly, you'll be abiding in Him daily, living in His joy and peace in these trying times. Join me on this journey through the Bible. Go to frc.org Bible. back to Washington Watch. Our word for today comes from Exodus chapter 7. When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Now this miracle sets the stage for the upcoming plagues as the idols of Egypt began to fall one by one. Now, interesting here, the word serpent in this passage means dragon or sea creatures. Many scholars believe that it was not a snake, but a crocodile. The Egyptian god Sobek was the god of the crocodiles, which was a symbol of power and strength. In fact, the crocodile was the patron of the army. Right up front, God was communicating to Pharaoh that he was about to consume Egypt's power and strength. You know, if you'd like to join us in this journey through the Bible, go to frc.org Bible. Well, Continuing our discussion on the Bible, as Jesus left the temple for the last time in Matthew chapter 24, he conducts what is known as the Olivet Discourse. And I'm going to read it for you in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 24. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, first words out of his mouth, Take heed, let no one deceive you. See, Jesus warns his followers to be on guard against deception and those who will peddle deception. We see that over and over. Well, with today's technology, which has benefits, such as allowing you to watch or listen to Washington Watch on a device you carry in your pocket, it also allows the false prophets to amplify their message with 
what today we might call conspiracy theories or fake news. Of course, it is not just the new technology that is being used. The legacy media is a part of this problem. There is a reason, though, that these conspiracy theories can flourish. And there is a reason that people have lost their trust in their government. But what can be done to counter the demise of truth? Joining me now in studio to discuss this, David Clawson, director of the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. David, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. Great to be with you. So uh, I was reading this article last week, and it really jumped out at me. It was an AP article, and it, here's the title, Grave Peril of Digital Conspiracy Theories, What Happens When No One Believes Anything Anymore? <laughs> A very profound question, but I don't think, oh, reading the article, I know this to be the case, they don't get to the real problem and the source or the solution. No, they don't, Tony. And it, it was a fascinating uh, perspective in this article, thinking about fake news and conspiracy theories. And I think one of the premises is that, you know, conspiracy theories are, are more pernicious and more widespread than they've ever been before. And that's not exactly true. You know, we've had conspiracy theories in this country for a long time, people doubting the moon landing, questions about JFK shooting. You know, conspiracy theories have right. been around for a long time. But they've also been around really since the beginning of time. Uh, going back to Genesis 3, I think the first conspiracy theory was what Satan introduced when he talked to Eve in the garden. Has God really said? That's the first conspiracy theory ever introduced into world history. This challenging of the truth, the challenging of what God had said, sowing doubt, uh, sowing confusion. And really, ever since then, we've lived in some sort of a post-truth world, which is admittedly has gotten worse in recent decades. Well, and I think, as I, as I quoted from Matthew chapter 24, Jesus warned in his conversation with his followers that this was going to be the case. And so repeatedly he says, don't be deceived. Uh, we see Paul saying the same thing. So we should take that as an indication that these latter days are going to be filled with deception. I just found it interesting that even the AP is acknowledging that there is a deception. But I want to go back to what you said from Genesis chapter 3. Deception comes when we depart from truth. Yes. And so how do we combat deception? Now, one of the antidotes is we just need to go back to truth. Um, and frankly, Tony, that's not something that we see at all in our culture. It's increasingly something that is uh, lacking in our churches. Uh, one thing uh, I've done some speaking recently in the last couple of weeks, and one thing I've had to address is, you know, even in our churches, we're not immune from these things. Uh, FRC, we did a, a poll, George Barna and I did some research last uh, semester, last fall, uh, that showed actually that 48% of regular churchgoers uh, say that they don't believe in absolute moral truth. The, the idea that there is something that is a objectively true, that's true for all people at all time. 48% reject that, which that's a basic tenet of a biblical worldview, Tony. Uh, for another 11% said they don't know. And so we need to start there uh, in our churches confused. So what's the antidote? What's the solution? Well, it's humility. First of all, acknowledging that this is an issue, acknowledging that this is a problem. And then we need to have discernment. You know, the great commandment, what did God say? Or did Jesus say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind. We need to be discerning. Yeah, well, just as Eve was confronted by Satan, did God really say, well, wait a minute, let me, let me check. Let me go back to the source. Yeah. She should have stopped at that moment. Adam, what did God say? 
you go back to the source. That's how you counter the deception. And so as we reject truth, we have nothing to measure a lie by. And I, I'm going to quote from this article, King, because I found it interesting. And, 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 and this is just quoting from it. And even when they failed to convince people, the conspiracy theories embraced by these groups contribute to mounting distrust of authorities, democratic institutions, causing people to reject reliable sources of information while encouraging division and suspicion. So this whole article is focused on uh, you know, bloggers and, and others on using the Internet. But they're saying, well, this affects legitimate media. This affects government. This affects institutions of democracy. Well, the reason they're susceptible, because they were the first ones that yes. rejected truth and therefore set the stage for these conspiracy theories to prosper as they are. For a long time, Tony, the, the media and uh, journalists uh, of all stripes, really, have had such a casual relationship with the truth. And when you have a casual relationship with the truth, or worse, Tony, even suppress legitimate news. Well, uh, let me tell you, if, if you have a government that cannot follow the science and determine whether a male is a male and a female <laughs> is a female, it's laughable to suggest right. that I should trust you to be a guardian of the truth. Oh, when you have a breakdown in authority like we're seeing today, Tony, especially in media, especially for those on TV, uh, you, you, you sow the seeds on fertile ground for these conspiracy theories to thrive. And, and we live in an age, Tony, where this breakdown in authority has happened across society. Actually, uh, Gallup, uh, did a, a survey last um, last year that showed American confidence in our institutions. And 11 out of the 16 institutions that they've been doing this poll for 40 years, 11 of the 16 have the lowest level of confidence that they've had in 40 years, from the media to newspaper to the government to Congress. We, we live in a time when people simply don't trust institutions. Right. They don't trust authority figures. And I'm going to say something, nor should they. Right. Uh, given where we are. So, w w what do we do? Number one, we should not be surprised. Yes. Okay? That's why I started with Matthew chapter 24. Jesus warned us over and over in his dialogue with his followers for application in these times that this was going to occur. So, we should, we should not be surprised. Right. Number two, we should put our confidence in that which does not change. Yes. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word of God does not change. If we want to expose and understand what is a conspiracy, and they're out there, and I tell people all the time, be careful what you read on the, online, be careful about just forwarding something on, be discerning. David, how do we have discernment in these days? I think what you just said, Tony, we need to stand on God's Word. We, we need to go back to the Bible, which is our ultimate source of truth. Jesus in Matthew 10, 16, right when he sent his disciples out into a, a, a world that he knew was going to challenge them and their teaching, he said that, you, that he told, told his disciples to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And so how do we combat misinformation and conspiracy theories? I think the first step that I would take when I see something on the social media or the news is just take a Pause. Don't believe anything you see just because you see it in and, print. And, and don't, don't, I mean, resist this temptation to forward it on or to <laughs> post it uh, or embrace it. And I mean, you don't have to be the first one to pass it on. Pray over it. Dis have discernment. Because here's what happens when you do that. And most of these are exposed within yes. time. 
if you're associated with that, you lose credibility among your friends. Absolutely. And there's the impulse that we, we like to know everything at once. You know, in the social media age, we're used to getting our news instantaneously. And so I think we need to slow down. Uh, we need to pray. And I think it's always good to corroborate. If you see right. something on social media, don't just assume it's right. true. Don't forward the email to a friend. Don't forward the post. But corroborate it. Right. Go to some valid try, news organizations. Try to get as close to the source as you can. And that's one of the reasons here on Washington Watch. And, and I'm going to tell you, folks, I do my very best to make sure that everything we say here is validated and it's true. And if we do get something wrong, I'm going to take ownership of that, and I'm going to correct it when we find out. But that's why we bring you the actual newsmakers. We go right to the source. Uh, we're not, you know, reporting on what someone else said. We're actually here in the arena talking about these things. So you, 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 the closer you can get to the source in these days, I think, is very important. I, I would say the rule of thumb, anything you see that is detached from a specific, reliable news or organizational site like Washington Stand, or and there's many others, don't trust into if it's not connected to a site that it right. can be verified. No, I, I agree with that, and that's why I'm so happy that we, about a year and a half ago, launched the Washington Stand, uh, because we have a that's whole the team of reporters, Tony, right. uh, that report the news, and we know also they're coming at from a biblical worldview. Uh, I write uh, for the Stand as well, just trying to connect it to scripture, trying to connect it to facts, objective truth, uh, things that are reportable, things that can be verified. Uh, that's why it's so important. And again, we, we see that in scripture as well. Uh, we see this pursuit of the truth. Uh, and I think that's so important in an age, Tony, when someone can fire something off on social media and it can make it around the world uh, be shared millions of times before there's even a chance to do a fact check. Yeah, and you know when you look at what Jesus warned would be the the environment in the end times. Yes. You know, he said that there would be wars, rumors of wars, there would be earthquakes in diverse places, famines, pestilence. So when you hear those things happen, you know the scripture says, yeah, those yep. things are going to happen. Uh, acts of terrorism, he talks about that. Violence toward believers, he talks about that. Mm -hmm. uh, division in families, he talks about that. So we know those things are happening, and so that's in line with scripture. So we can say, well, all right, this lines up with what Jesus said was going to be happening, let's go to the next step and validate and verify the source, then I think we are in a position, this is what is, I think, so significant, David, about Christians in America. Uh, right there in that seat you're sitting in today, yesterday, I had a pastor from Nigeria mm. uh, who in his community, over 200 people were killed uh, on Christmas Eve. Um, we have the ability here in the United States to use the freedoms that we still have to advocate for others. Yes. We have the ability to expose these things that are occurring in the end times that Jesus warned about. He said they were coming, I think, to prepare us so that we could stand against the evil. Remember, Paul talks about the lawlessness that's going to break out and it's going to increase. 
but the church is to be a restrainer of that. So we have to act on legitimate information we have so that we can be the salt and light that allows the gospel to go forth. Absolutely, Tony. You already quoted Matthew's gospel a couple of times, even in this segment, Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon ever given. Uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus tells us, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And what does he so, say? Would that be like a wool suit? I don't, in today's terms. Well, what he tells us, he says, you will recognize them by their fruit. And so that's, yeah. that's a, a litmus test, Tony. We can look at the people reporting the news. Let's recognize them by their fruit. And I think that's a good thing for us to do. Well, again, when you have people denying the revealed truth that yep. is so fundamental, male and female, um, the institution of marriage, all of these things that history has revealed, when you deny that, I mean, talk about deniers, <laughs> that, that would say these people are not worthy to be trusted or followed. Yeah, and that's why we need discernment, I think, today more than we have ever needed it. Uh, because again, I was watching CNN last night, and it, you know, in the back of my mind, I just don't feel like I can trust even the premise of some of their arguments when the previous segment, you know, they're using preferred pronouns right. and uh, even the segment you had earlier or just, you know, lionizing people that are on board with the LGBT revolution. So prayer, discernment, corroborating, objectivity, all of these things I think ought to mark a Christian as they take in, read, understand, and share the news. Absolutely. David Clawson, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to see you. Thank you, Tony. Hey, folks, I would uh, encourage you as you as you pray, as you uh, connect with organizations like the Family Research Council, read the Washington Stand, share Washington Watch with your friends. Don't don't hoard it for yourself. Let others know about it. But let me tell you about one thing that I think is fundamental, and that is to daily be in the Word of God. And we've got a plan for you for that as well. It's our stand on the word. And if you'd like to find out more about that, you can go to frc.org slash Bible and join me. I do a daily devotion every morning at uh, usually 8.40 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. But would love to have you be a part of that journey through the word. Out of time for today, but thanks for being with us. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.